Welcome to another episode of Tao Unbound. I'm Ido Aharon, your host, and today I have the great pleasure and privilege of hosting Professor Ehud Toledano in our studio. The pleasure is mine. And uh, just uh, for uh, our listeners and our viewers, uh, Professor Toledano is a professor of Middle Eastern history at Tel Aviv University and the former head of the program in Ottoman and Turkish studies, but we're not going to talk about Turkey today. Uh, we're going to talk about his area of expertise, which is the Middle East in general, and specifically about the October 7th massacre and the ensuing Gaza war. And Professor Toledano, first question to you is, um, how would you position what's happening in the regional and the global framework? So first of all, we have to understand that what we have here is a, a strategic event. So it does have political, it has uh, diplomatic and um, military aspects. So in order to envelop them all, we have to deal with each of them. So if we look at what happened, uh, the horrible, horrible disaster, um, we had to uh, get over it and then get organized in order to... Uh, to respond, and it was very clear to everybody that the response had the response had to be very dramatic and very decisive. And the the very clear um, understanding was in the political and the military uh, levels that uh, what we are what we need to end this conflict with is with Hamas out of power and out of the capacity to attack uh, Israel in any possible way. So let, let's talk about that. So you say what should be the end goal is the end of Hamas rule. Uh, what are the possible scenarios that you see for Israel to achieve that goal? Uh, first of all, we're now in the, um, in the military phase. So uh, it's very clear that A, uh, politically, there is no probability to anything but a ground uh, invasion of Gaza. This, the, the Israeli public will not accept anything less than that, and you cannot dismantle Hamas, which is what we're talking about, dismantling and, and taking all their military uh, capabilities uh, off the table and the field uh, without uh, ground operation that would not be possible, despite the very effective uh, air and sea uh, bombardments that we've been witnessing for the past three weeks. So basically what we're uh, looking at is the invasion which does have the support of the international community. For us, the most important are the Americans and the West European countries. Uh, the rest, um, you know, we are used to dealing with uh, uh, whatever they want to dish in our direction, and that's, uh, that, that's okay. But these are the two important. So element, these two uh, are very important. And then, then, the, then there is the military, and um, it, it will happen one way or another with, uh, let me just say this, that the um, the U.S. is following this very closely and also advising on this. And we had here three generals. One of them uh, was the major general in, um, in the, uh, you know, the operations in Fallujah and also in Mosul in Iraq. So he knows 
a bit about how you fight in a uh, densely populated area like Gaza, which Fallujah was in Mosul the same, and uh, how, how you define your goals and how you go about achieving them, which is the most important thing. And he was here uh, looking at uh, the situation. They were here, and especially that three-star general, uh, and, and they left. And, and their impression was that uh, there are basically two large alternatives. One is to do like what we did in defensive shield operation in the West Bank, which is uh, known as the Chomat uh, Magen, and that is the um, when we go house to house to clear uh, the refugee camps of the terrorist or uh, units, uh, uh, organization, weapons, everything. And the famous picture is uh, how we how the army goes through one house to the other through breaking the walls, breaking the walls and getting in. Uh, that's a very intensive, highly costly in terms of uh, our uh, soldiers' uh, uh, casualties and stuff like that, and it takes a long time. Uh, these are the, the two th elements that we, um, I would say, don't have or cannot afford. One is time. There is a very distorted uh, view of how much we have. All the generals in the, in the various studios talk about months, and, and we have no problem and all that. This is... Um, of course, an, an illusion. Uh, the U.S. And, and the West, but most importantly the U.S., probably will give us three weeks. Four weeks would be at the maximum to do a massive ground operation um, with all the civilian casualties that will happen and the, the enormous criticism in the world that will follow. Uh, and, uh, you know, we cannot afford despite what a lot of people say, we cannot afford the high number of soldiers' casualties. Um, it's, it's easy and, and nice to say that, you know, but when we start getting the bodies and we start getting the funerals and we start listening to the families, this is going to be over. So in that sense, the, the two criteria that are the most important, reducing casualties as much as possible and actually li living within the, the framework of time limits of about four weeks at the most, um, th there is no question in my mind, and apparently also in the American expert's mind, that a, a operation along the lines that we did in Defensive Shield is out of the question. We can have elements of it. We can't have the whole thing. So what you're saying is that tactically Israel should deploy the specialty elite units. Uh, there is no other way but to invade Gaza uh, with boots on the ground. Question is, how long do you see the IDF staying in Gaza? Uh, and I say this assuming that the full reoccupation of the Gaza Strip is off the table. Okay, so, so first of all, let, let me say how I think we can go. I said, first of all, how we shouldn't go, not defensive shield. Well, we should go in with tanks very rapidly, as much as we can, and we have the, uh, the engineering capacities to actually clear the mines and clear all the uh, um, IDs and all of that and get, get as quickly as possible to the center of Gaza where in the underground uh, uh, we have all the leadership of the Hamas and many of their soldiers. So this mostly, much, much of it is under the Shifa hospital, but really uh, 
I don't believe, and I think nobody else believes, that uh, uh, Sinwar and, uh, and Dev, the two uh, leaders of uh, military Hamas, are still there. Probably not. But the other, you know, rank and file at the very top level uh, are there and need to be sort of taken out. So what I'm saying is what we, what we should do is take the model of the Beirut uh, uh, operation that uh, uh, Arik Sharon and, and under the Begin government did in 1982, which is get as close as you can to the headquarters, try to occupy only a certain part where most of the leadership is, is, stays, and uh, then uh, give an ultimatum. You surrender and leave the country like uh, Arafat left for Tunis, or we eliminate you. Right. By the way, I was, I happened to be in Beirut in 1982, um, and my, my unit went into a neighborhood called Cornish el Mazra. Mm -hmm. And we were, we entered only after a very long period of bombing and artillery and air force. And we, although we did go house to house, apartment to apartment, we didn't go all the way. We besieged the compounds, and indeed, Arafat was forced to uh, to leave Beirut. And and so, in your book, the expulsion of Hamas leadership would be a sufficient uh, outcome Absolutely. of the ground operation. It will be the outcome that's most desirable and most achievable. And I think you know, if you take out four hundred of the of the leadership. Uh, out of the country, they can go to Doha, they can go, and, and then, you know, maybe 2,000 of their soldiers, top soldiers and all of that, going far from our borders. There are Muslim countries. Right. That, Let me ask you something. Let me ask you something that is more um, strategic. Yeah, uh, wait a second, just, just to say that, that what has to follow is not just the leadership. Once this happens, they have to disarm and uh, everything. We have to destroy. Well, we're very close, and without them around, very close to all the, the missiles and rockets and all of that. All of them have to be destroyed physically. The rest of the weapons must be collected, but it won't be by us. Right, yeah, and it could be, and that, that begs another big question, who would that be? Would that be a trusteeship? Would that be the United Nations, the U.S., the European Union? Who would be that, uh, that, that mechanism? Right, so, so everybody's talking about the end game. What's going to happen after, in the day after? So I have a different view from most people that, where they think it's our responsibility to, to manage things out there. Um, I think that we should give a 48-hour ultimatum again and say, now that Hamas is basically out of commission, it cannot govern, uh, you know, you send here an international force, um, whatever you can gain, it can be NATO, it can be Arab-backed, it can be anything you want. Within 48 hours, you come in, we leave, no matter what happens. Now, well, you know, it's going to be a chaos. You know, yes, let, let, let there be chaos. Those will fight, you know, infighting, you know, and that. We can make sure from the air and the sea that no one party, certainly not uh, Hamas remnants or uh, jihad uh, remnants, can take over. So when they s begin to, to have the upper hand, we bomb them. So basically, we can leave this as is. They'll fight each other, kill each other, and... You know, lo and behold, the, the civilian population will suffer. But I don't believe that this will happen. I think that immediately upon our starting to move out, there will be 
a force very rapidly put together internationally coming in. They will come in and start to uh, the humanitarian humanitarian uh, uh, you know assistance that will be huge because it'll be a disaster out there you know in the in the north I'm saying in the south you know they're well, already there in, in in your scenario what do you see happening to the hostages well hopefully we'll be able to get to them we have to get to them and once we we put the ultimatum on the leadership they go out but all our hostages go out all of them So there's not a, a question of whether, uh, you know, we... And, and when we operate now, uh, you can already see that the army is, is as much intelligence as they have about the whereabouts of the hostages, and nobody knows everything because Hamas doesn't know where all the hostages are. And uh, Jihad doesn't know where all the hostages are. There are, you know, groups and, and, and militias that hold hostages that, you know, Private people grabbed in. So, so basically, they don't even know. I mean, they, they answered the Russians. Uh, when they, uh, the Russians said, you know, get our citizens out and, and release them, they said, we don't even know who are your citizens. Give us a list. They gave them a list. So they're looking for them. So basically, even Hamas, especially at this moment, where they, their management, you know, and control c- capabilities are severely... reduced severely diminished so so therefore you know whatever we know about where they are now based on your, we don't bomb them based on your experience and your and you studied the Ottoman Empire um, I'd like to take you back to 1972 Goldamir government Munich 11 Israeli athletes are massacred on German soil. Same degree of humiliation, same degree of frustration, although what, what we experienced on October 7th is the worst event since the Holocaust. But Golda's government makes a decision that every person that was involved in the massacre in Munich will be taken out. And it takes Israel decades to complete the mission. Do you see the same thing happening now? No. I think it'll be much faster. First of all, we know, and by facial recognition, we have almost all of those who took part, those who survived. I mean, a lot of those who took part in the massacres are dead, you know, were killed here by our soldiers. So those that are back, we know, basically 200 of them are under the Shifa hospital. We know who they are, most of them, not everybody. So we'll go in and kill everybody that we can, you know, and that's not going to take a long time. That's part of what the, um, the ground operation should be. achieve and even after we leave and if some of them manage to escape we'll hunt them and and that shouldn't take decades uh, so that, that can be much easier to do than when you know the uh, PLO people who committed those so in your from a tactical point of view in your in your view the armored units should lead the way absolutely and then only then the The infantry oh yeah the infantry should go hand in hand with them but within armored vehicles we also have very well protected armored vehicles um, and and they all have you know sort of a um, defensive kind of an electronic um, shield that they use and uh, there are other things and from the air th- that's that's going to limit our casualties and It's not going to eliminate I mean there will still be you know people who would come out and and uh, shoot a rocket or and that have to be eliminated 
you know, from the ground. And uh, so, so I, I'm not saying that this is, but that there's no comparison yeah. between going house to house and doing this. Right, right. And therefore, and, and, and I'm dead set against going into the tunnels and, and fighting there. You know, you bomb whatever you need to do once you clear them. And we do have the, um, the necessary uh, bombs now that the Americans have refused to give us for Iran, given us for this thing. So the, 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 that'll be destroyed, the, the whole um, underground city that's called uh, the You mean the, the, the bombs metro. that are able to destroy the bunkers? Yes, yes. To penetrate... Right, right, right. Deep, deep yes, underground. Yes, yes. Now, let me ask you about... The Arab and the Muslim world, right. um, in the spirit of oppressed versus oppressors, Israeli media is communicating to the Israeli public that uh, it's black and white. Uh, but we know that it's more complex than that, that many Arabs and many Muslims uh, obviously disagree with what Hamas did and think that, and I've heard Um, uh, the son of Hamas saying that Hamas opened the gates of hell uh, on the Palestinians. I've heard many Palestinian intellectuals who've been very critical of Israel over the years saying this is the end of the Palestinian national plight. Um, what do you hear from the Muslim and the Arab world? How would you describe? Is it more complex than the media is showing us? Well, there are voices, but there is also an A very dominant kind of voice and it's very clear uh, it's up to the point where we started bombing Gaza and you know the immediate uh, few days of, of shock uh, from the uh, the massacres here that uh, they didn't say anything they understood that something huge happened that Hamas did something horrible and they reserved judgment they they said some of them, many of them condemned it but some simply you were in such huge shock that they stopped uh, then you know when the pictures came out of um, of Gaza and the babies and the, everything that Hamas knows to show and it's there I mean let's face it it's there then it completely turned uh, 180 uh, degrees uh, over and the um, Uh, the condemnation of Israel is is overwhelming and this uh, you know we're, what we're doing is uh, is genocide and everything else and all that and the Arab street is extremely extremely uh, agitated and, and and hostile and it's it's um, you know it's not surprising in any way yeah uh, it's the governments who try to control and, and keep this uh, under a lid but they themselves are afraid that if they say or do something that That is in any way you know does not uh, help the Palestinian cause there then they'll be whipped aside so so in that sense it's it's a tricky kind of a, of a balance let's talk about Iran let's talk about Iran because I remember again maybe it happened during those immediate first days after October 7th where Iranian audience in a football game was booing a moment of silence for victims of Hamas. Uh, so there's a strong anti-Iranian um, regime within Iran, strong opposition. Uh, but let's talk about Iran. What, what do you see them doing, assuming that Israel will continue with a ground invasion, assuming Israel will end Hamas rule? So first of all, just to say something about what you said about the booing during the, uh, the soccer games that happened before, even before. Uh, October 7th there's just not the reaction there is 
everything every time they try to um, say something in you know in favor of the Palestinians raise the flag or something like that they were booed because this is the sentiment doesn't have to do anything to do with Palestine or Israel it's again it's, it's anti-regime kind of a reaction we've had enough of you and your involvement everywhere in the Middle East and and abroad and you We need to take care of ourselves and, and, and invest whatever we have here because the people are suffering. So in, in, in that way, we, there is a strong opposition in Iran, but it's totally incapable, as we saw, of, of doing anything to move the regime. The regime is, is, is oppressive to an nth degree, and it uses all sorts of, uh, of, of you know, internal... Uh, measures I would say that not characterized beyond that measures that that uh, assure its survival uh, and demonstrations now can bring it down uh, something from within the regime will have to give at a certain point to to bring a, a coup and 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 move and then within the, the revolutionary guard if it doesn't have within the revolutionary guards it's not going to happen so so Iran in general what it would uh, do if, if Hamas collapses uh, Um, nothing simply because uh, Iran's uh, plan is a regional kind of a, of a program master program to be influential and hopefully hegemonic but they're very far from that they know that uh, but they want to push their proxies and their proxies are were Hamas jihad Islami in particular but Hamas also uh, Hezbollah And there are militias within uh, Syria that are probably running militias, Iraqi mostly, um, that have infiltrated through the, the border regions in, uh, through the, the last year mo- mostly. Uh, and and uh, Assad allowed that to happen because Assad is a, was a, a protege of the Russians and the Iranians, basically. Um, so so in, in that way, if we look at their entire, as, as like the Houthis in, in the Yemen, also proxies. So you, they, they, would, uh, they would operate as much as they can through their proxies. But they would not risk Hezbollah for Hamas. So Hamas goes, Hamas goes, you know, then they will continue, try to continue later to build up something, which this is one of the main things that we will learn from this conflict, is that we'll never allow this to happen again, to build a, a, a military capacity, no matter how much money Iran pours in, but not weapons. It doesn't, so, so then, then why did they build up Hamas, uh, Hezbollah so much? They did that because That was their weapon to uh, for the day that the United States and Israel attack their nuclear um, uh, capabilities and try to take them out. So for that to deter Israel and the US from doing that, uh, they built up Hezbollah with all those enormous uh, this enormous arsenal of, of, uh, of weapons and everything and the Radwan force in the southern part of Lebanon facing us now but they, they were now in- by the way, um, what you're saying basically if I, if I understand you correctly, inevitably, someday in the future, not now, Israel will have proactively, take out Hezbollah. No question about that. And how would you go about doing that? Let's assume it happens after Hamas is taken out, yeah. maybe three years down the road. Yeah, I wouldn't say three years. I would give it a few months. I would give it maximum a year once we have 
managed to organize and, and, and set up the plan and all that. Uh, again, I believe in ultimatums and and, and, stay, and, and, and putting your money where your mouth is. Otherwise, it's, it's not going to help. So putting your weaponry behind your mouth, I would give them, uh, with the United States backing, an ultimatum. Uh, remove the Radwan forces beyond the Litani River, which is about 20 kilometers from the Israeli borders. There you can be and do whatever you want. You cannot cross. You cross, you get shot. What uh, about the missiles? Yes, and, and that's the most important thing in terms of the ability to hurt uh, the, the Israeli uh, population back in. That's a, a capacity that we will have to demand that they dismantle it. Of course, they won't. And then we will come, you know, we will have the option, well, no option but to take it out. And accepting the fact that for two days, maybe, they will still be able to cause enormous damage, enormous damage, uh, which we have to be prepared for. Uh, but then we destroy the entire, um, the entire arsenal, which we know where exactly it exists. Um, unlike what we know about Hamas, that we don't know exactly where everything is, and you can see that they can still, uh, until ten minutes ago, still uh, shoot rockets from places that. Uh, so, uh, for 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 Hezbollah, we know exactly where where they are, and we know exactly how to destroy now, it. Let me ask you uh, um, about two more actors in the region, which you are very well. Uh, you know, equipped to answer. The first is Turkey, and the other is Saudi Arabia. The question about Turkey is, how does this affect Turkey-Iranian relations? And about Saudi Arabia, is this the end of the talks about normalization, or that the Iranians have the capacity to put it on the back burner and wait a little bit? So, so for, first of all, Turkey. So t Turkey, um, as we expected, um, after the immediate uh, shock and, and, and condemnation of what Hamas did, without calling them a terrorist organization, uh, they've started, uh, you know, condemning us and, and, and talking about uh, what we do in Gaza in the, in the loudest and most aggressive way possible. So uh, Erdogan used his language, but that, that here he was, it's not, he had no choice because the sentiments among the, uh, the public were very clear behind, uh, you know, Gaza. Uh, Hamas, which he hosted, the, much of the leadership, Haruri and others, uh, in Turkey, but had m removed them recently and was going to, to kick them out completely after the, uh, the attacks of Hamas here. But, of course, now it's a different story. He might be willing to take those 500 or whoever, you know, top people that we would like to expel from here, he might be willing to take them. Um, so, so he is, but, but you asked about how that affects his relationship with Iran. With Iran, they have, you know, uh, you know, very competitive kind of a, of a relationship. They're not friends in any way. They cooperate where they can. They check each other. But uh, in Syria, for instance, they were at loggerheads. I mean, uh, the Iranians backed Assad and, 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 and uh, the Turks were very much against the, uh, the Assad regime and have even invaded in order to what they 
considered defend themselves from the um, Kurds in the up in the north, but um, the, the, then they're still in in Syrian territory, um, and and they face uh, the uh, anti-Assad uh, uh, groups that are still powerful in Idlib, at least in parts of uh, of the um, of the Syrian north northwest. Uh, so so in that uh, way. Um, they know the Iranians very well, and they know how to deal with the Iranians. And there's, they're not going to cooperate with Iran in, in any way. So, and basically, Iran, uh, we have to face it, is very limited in its capacity to to act against Israel directly, not not through the proxies. What can it do? Send a few rockets, you know, missiles. Yeah, that can be there. But they know exactly what they will get in return. And the U.S. is here. And the U.S. is here exactly for that purpose, for Hezbollah, but for Iran as well. And and I'm, I must say that I was very impressed by the United States' uh, military um, capability to intercept the rockets from uh, the missiles from Yemen. No, they have the capabilities. There's and no I, as a Yemenite Israeli, I'm <laughs> deeply offended that the Yemenites would try to hurt um, us here. You know, like, like the Palestinians and the Israelis, not all the Yemenites are the same. <laughs> yes, yes, I know. So. Now, um, Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Uh, look, Saudi Arabia was on the way to a normalized relationship with Israel as part of an American strategic um, alliance to stand, to, to, to put a stop uh, to Iran's interference in the region and to create the direct links for economic cooperation and and uh, supply Europe and, and everywhere else. And um, nothing changed this because of what happened uh, here by Hamas and what we're doing in Gaza. It's just because of internal considerations, because of the, they also have a public that they have to, to pacify and keep in control, uh, that, that, that is outraged by the, what, what is going on in, in Gaza, what they're doing in Gaza. So uh, once this blows over, hopefully, they will not lament the, uh, the dismantling of Hamas. They would love to see that. They see as much as Turkey sponsors Hamas as a member in the Muslim Brotherhood, uh, you know, regional network. Uh, Saudi Arabia, the Emirates, Bahrain, and all the, the Gulf states very much oppose Muslim Brotherhood uh, groups within their countries and in the region. As Qatar is the only one that basically, with Turkey, supports. Um, the, 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 those uh, um, Muslim Brotherhood groups because the Emir himself is a Muslim brother. So in, in that way, um, and was engaged in, in Dawa propaganda in West Africa and all that, he's, he's very much involved. So, so Qatar is, is the only weak link in that thing, but because they're under American boot, basically, literally boots on the ground. It's the largest American base in the, in the region is in Qatar. Uh, they will be very limited in what they can do in this. Aspect. One last question. Sure. Because, I mean, I can have we this. We can go on, say, yeah, on and can, on forever. We, yes, because it's fascinating because you have so much Thank knowledge. You. And, Thank you. Um, so, you know, uh, 
the framing of every, you know, this is about America at the end of the day. We're looking Absolutely. at a Russian-sponsored effort to undermine the United States in Ukraine, to undermine NATO, to undermine. So where do you see this struggle between the delusional uh, dreams of Putin and what's happening in the United States? In many ways, I think that Russia is misunderstanding what's happening in the American society internally, just as Hamas misunderstood what was happening in Israel socially and politically internally. Right. Uh, so, so this is uh, Russia in general. We haven't touched on, uh, on Russia at all. I think we need to look at it very carefully, much less about what the Russians say and much more about what they do. And um, we have bombed five times already Damascus and Aleppo airports were continuously bombing any attempts uh, by the Iranians to move anything to Lebanon, to Hezbollah. We're, we're also in checking Golan Heights and beyond uh, Iranian presence and militias and so on. The Russians, who control the airspace completely, do nothing, not even say anything. So it's all done with their backing and consent. Make no mistake about it. So Russia, what Russia does in this conflict goes way beyond what your analysis of they're trying to fight a war with the United States through their proxies here. They're totally absorbed in Ukraine. They're bogged down. They have enormous problems. They're fighting the United States there and NATO. They're not going to do it here. They're overexposed. They're overexposed even in Syria. They're way over, overexposed in, in, uh, in, in, in Africa and in Asia, especially after Wagner is, is no longer in, you know, interwoven into their uh, strategic uh, power. It, it may come on later, but it's way... But it lost where, much. It lost much, much of its viability. Much, much of, of what it used to do, and yeah. it's not trusted. It's not trusted well, by the Professor, Russians. Professor Toledano, I could talk to you really, as we said before, for hours. But I, I really want to thank you for thank you very uh, much providing us with such a comprehensive overview. I mean, you were tactical, you were strategic, you were regional, you were global. It was fascinating. Thank and, you. And uh, I'd like to thank you. There's no doubt in my mind that we will ask you to come back. Uh, hopefully when this whole thing will be behind over, us. Yeah. And so thank you again and to our viewers and listeners all over the world from Tel Aviv, goodbye until our next episode. Thank you.